Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast, The Endurance of Labor Laws. I'm your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan, and today is episode 157, and today we are going to go over Marxism. I think this has come up in times past, and so I thought I would go ahead and do an episode specifically on Marxism, because I know we've talked about it in regards to different labor unions and um, trade unions as well, and also Marxism has come up repeatedly within critical race theory, and so I thought we would go ahead and go into this more specifically. Now, Marxism, when I looked it up, it was very dense. Um, It was just mind-boggling, all the different things that people have researched about it and their opinions and things like that, and it was very difficult to get a definitive answer about it because Marxism is, I guess you can say, is the foundation for communism. Because before Marxism, there really wasn't communism. But, you know, Mar- you know Marxism, it very much, it, it fueled the flames, so to speak, for uh, Marxism, Leninism, and also it fueled the flames for socialism. Although socialists, if they are more capitalist, then they do not like being called a Marxist. So we will dive into this uh, today just because I thought, well, let's go ahead and discuss it, get it over with, because it has come up time and time again in this podcast, because whenever you're looking at labor laws, trade unions, and also the new and up-and-coming ideologies that are taking place in our society, Marxism tends to be rearing its ugly head on this. But before we dive in, let me give a big shout out to my listeners because as usual, you guys are awesome. So a big shout out to Oklahoma, California, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Indiana, in terms of countries, the United States, the Russian Federation, and Canada. So FYI, I'm in fil- I am filming this, excuse me, on my laptop because my phone is updating and Otter It's one of those things that's got some funky updates that's doing, and my phone is also doing an update, so I'm not able to use it. So I'm filming from my laptop, so FYI, we are going to test the audio on this and make sure it sounds good. Now, I will say this. If ever there is an episode of my podcast that doesn't sound right on you guys' end, message me and let me know, and we will get that fixed. You know, usually I go back and I re-listen to the majority of my podcasts just to make sure the sound is good and all that stuff. And I look at the technique and things of that nature. But if ever something is not playing right on, you know, for example, like, was it Podbean or Alexa? And there's all these different ways of listening to podcasts, like maybe through iTunes or Apple, whatever the case may be, or even Amazon, I think, as well. Um, you do let me know, and we will take a look at that. Because if there is an issue, we definitely want to get that fixed, because we very much love and appreciate our listeners. Um, so let's go ahead and dive into this. So again, we are talking about Marxism. So it says, Marxism is a left-wing to far-left method of socioeconomic analysis that uses a materialist interpretation of historical development, better known as historical materialism, to understand class relations and social conflict and a dialectical perspective to view social transformation. Big old long sentence, and I'm thinking, what in the world does all this mean? Because, you know, sometimes it's easy to get lost in translation, right? So here's the thing. You know, I could easily see Marxism be being left-wing, and then when it says far left, I think that's very accurate. I think that is very true. What I was surprised about is that it's it talks about its method. It says its method is socioeconomic analysis. Well, here's the thing. 
every single theory that I've read about in regards to Marxism or, you know, these people that write about it and they have these quotes and things like that, and you look at their research, I don't think they really understand the economy of any country because the way that they look at it is they play the victim. And whenever you're dealing with an economy, you're not going to have a very successful economy if you just think you are the victim all the time. So, so you know, in, in Marxism, they think that capitalism is the devil, and it's not because it's only under capitalism that women have been truly free. But yet Marxism will, you know, will push the agenda, and this is the first I've ever heard of this, but when I researched this, I came across a segment of this uh, article and some other information that said that uh, Marxism supposedly um, goes against capitalism to free women because they, they don't think that, um, I guess they don't think that women are dominated in a communist country, and they are. And you see, here's the thing. Marxism does not agree with religion. So the only way that it can attack religion, specifically Christianity, is to, you know, give this impression or to preach to people that, oh, well, if you're a woman and you believe in capitalism, then you're going to be suppressed because you will be getting married and you will be under a man and you have to change your last name. Here's the thing. When a woman changes her last name, it's it may have been used for male domination way back in the day, and some people may still do that. But whenever a woman changes her name, it's for genealogy purposes, because that, that, that's where the bloodline goes. And also, you know, way back in the day, the, the inheritance of property almost always went to the man. It never went to the woman unless she was a widow, which is a big reason why there were so many women hundreds of years ago, or even just 100, 150 years ago, Whenever their, their husband died, typically they did not remarry because whenever a woman remarried way back in the day, all of their possessions, all of their property, all of their money went to their new husband. So not an incentive uh, to get married, right? Hence, a lot of women were single uh, when they were widows and they could have gotten remarried. But anyway, um, there's something else it said here. It says that a socialist economy would not base production, basically goods, on the creation of private profits, but on the criteria of satisfying human needs, that is production for use. So there's this very much production for use phrase that's used all the time within communism and uh, Marxism that's kind of interchangeable. And so basically what communism and Marxism likes to preach is that, you know, the only time you should produce a good is if someone wants it. Well, that's dumb. You know, you know, what if what if you have an idea for something and no one understands your idea, but you know that it's a really good product and people could actually use it? Well, under Marxism and communism, your idea would, would be uh, not considered relevant and it would actually go against the thinking of the government. So then the government, if they didn't like what you were doing in terms of employment, they could arrest you and or... I was going to say kill you, but that is true. I'm trying to be nice about it, but I was going to say arrest you and um, exterminate you, basically. And that is exactly what happened in the Soviet Union. In a previous podcast, it was several episodes back. I think this might have been last year. Um, there was an episode where I talked a little bit about the, the documentary called Forbidden Art. And what's really interesting is that people did not know, because it was a closed society in the Soviet Union, People did not know that um, under communism and within 
the Soviet Union that the government controlled your job. They, they controlled the economy. So because the government and the powers that be controlled the economy, they controlled what kind of work you did. And so they viewed it as if your work is not considered productive or, or if it's not something that goes along with Marxism or Leninism, then, then you are breaking the law. And that's what happened to hundreds, if not thousands, of artists and people that worked um, in the art industry or any kind of media outlet you know, back then. And so the reason why a lot of these artists and anybody that was in the media field, so to speak, or even journalism, even writers, anything that was considered artistic, which could be writing, painting, sculpting, whatever the case may be, and even um, advertising, if you did not publish or paint something that was pro-communism, you were arrested. And if you were a man, you were tortured. If you're a woman, more than likely you and your children got sent off to, what's it called, the gulag or whatever it's called, like these really horrible uh, village concentration camps. I mean, they, they, they totally um, ostracized so many people because they thought differently. So what's interesting is that communism and Marxism says it cares about the social classes, but it doesn't. All it does is destroy the social class. That way it makes everybody in the same class because it claims that if you are all in the same socio-economic class, then by the very nature of only having one class, then you are all equal. But here's the thing, that one class um, under communism or fascism or socialism or Marxism, it's ruled and governed by the government. So you basically have the, the public sector ruling over the private sector. That is what happens in Marxism and communism. And it's very unfortunate because a lot of people were executed if they did not agree with uh, what the government was doing and or if they just had a different idea. You know, let's say, for example, they had a different way of looking at something. Well, if it wasn't the way the government wanted its citizens to look at something, then those people were rounded up and executed. Also, if they were male or female, I mean, I don't know what they did to their children, but here's the thing. If the children were kept alive, then it very much created a lot of orphans. Another thing that was discussed in that forbidden art film was that under communism, um, the government is in charge of your work, right? So the government then decided who would be a farmer, who would be an accountant, who would be a doctor, who would be a lawyer. Well, the government thought everybody should be a farmer, even though that's not the, the majority of the population's specialty. Um, it forced a lot of people that had no idea how to do agriculture and put them into farming industries. Well, guess what? Those industries tanked. Those people did not know what they were doing, doing excuse me, because they did not have the proper training. And also, the, the best example of a complete failure of that was where the Soviet government forced all these people, like thousands of people, into being peasant, peasant farmers, and they completely drained a lake because they did not understand agriculture. They did not understand water supply. And so now, even to this day, there are still boats sitting in this dry wasteland and over in Russia. And it used to be a beautiful area where this was. I can't remember the name of the lake, but it's one of those things that you see, here's the thing. Whenever you put the government in charge of all of your work, you're working for the government, even if you work in the private sector. So needless to say, 
under communism and Marxism, you no longer have capitalism and you no longer have a clear distinction between the public sector and the private sector because whenever you have communism or Marxism, it's the public sector, a.k.a. the government, controlling the private sector. But whenever the public sector controls the private sector, the government tries to turn those private sector jobs into all government jobs, even though you're, you're not working a cushy government job in a really nice office building. For example, again, with the Soviet Union, they, they forced all these people to, to be peasants. And also, they closed their churches. So they were not allowed to uh, practice their faith. They were not allowed to paint anything that wasn't like a pleasant peasant. They were not allowed to print um, anything negative whatsoever, even in the slightest way in their newspapers. So their government claimed that they were promoting freedom. And, oh, you'll, you'll let, the, let the government control all this. We will provide for you. Well, all the government did was kill a bunch of its people. And there were many famines that took place in the Soviet Union during that time. And millions of people died from starvation. And then that's not even including the people that were executed um, in Soviet prisons and in Siberia, you know, when people were exiled. You know, it's like if you were an elitist or if you were a thinker, for the most part, you would either be executed on the spot or in prison or tortured, or you might get lucky and be sent to Siberia and you were permanently exiled. Um, but, you know, for most people that were not elitist, they were forced into being a peasant. So it's one of those things. Do you really want the government to tell you what to do for a living? You know, you know, it's very important to remember that the role of government, excuse me, the role of government is not to dominate or control your life. The government's purpose is to protect the country. So to protect the citizens from foreign invaders and, and attacks and also you know, it is supposed to collect taxes. Well, see, here's the thing. If people don't have good jobs, you know, like if everybody becomes a peasant or a serf or whatever, um, then pretty much nobody's making good money. So then the government is not collecting the taxes that it needs to run the country, even though I don't like using the words run the country because a country belongs to the citizens. It does not belong to a government entity. Otherwise, you have a dictatorship, which is exactly what happened in the Soviet Union with Joseph Stalin. So interesting tidbit there. It goes on to say that uh, Marxian economics and its proponents view capitalism as economically unsustainable. That's very funny to me. And incapable of improving the population's living standards due to its need to compensate for the falling rate of profit by cutting employees' wages and social benefits while pursuing military aggression. Okay, here's the stupidity of that statement. So it's actually the opposite. Under capitalism, the economy is actually extremely sustainable. It's actually very profitable. And under capitalism, people actually make more money and they have more ac more access to benefits that they need to um I don't want to say need to survive because technically you don't need benefits to survive because um, benefits are really just a 20th century phenomenon. You know, it, it's just part of an incentive package, but it's only under capitalism that people are able to have access to benefits, higher wages and things of that nature. Whereas under communism and Marxism, almost always their economy tanks 
And the only reason why their economies typically stay afloat under communism is because they allow certain sectors to participate in capitalism. An example of this, I would say, are certain demographics of Vietnam and then China. China very much manipulates currency and the markets. So that's one way that they're able to stay afloat. But what you have to remember about communist China is that most of their people are slaves. They, they do not really have freedom of labor over there. An example of this is when um, the communist China sent workers to Italy to make Italian purses. And so it was like slave labor um, that was purchased by an Italian company to make purses. And that's how COVID-19 actually got into Italy. So you know, it's one of those things that the Chinese government very much uses its people as indentured slaves, servants, and slaves, just slaves in general. And they actually ship their um, their citizens all over the world. Another example where there was Chinese slave labor was in the Bahamas. And let's see, I had some friends that went down to the Bahamas several years ago. I'm trying to remember what year this was. But, you know, needless to say, um, when the people I knew got back, they were telling me that, you know, it was really disturbing to see there was like this compound that was built and it was basically surrounded by a chain link fence and the laborers were all Chinese. They were not allowed to leave. They were not allowed to speak to anybody. And I guess what happened was the, the government in, in the Bahamas authorized for this, this company, I, I guess a, a company that's owned by someone that you know lives in the Bahamas authorized them to do business with the Chinese and have a Chinese company build their hotel, build this Bahama hotel in the Bahamas, but use slave labor from the Chinese. So it's one of those things like, you know, you think about the Bahamas and how nice the people are down there, but there is still corruption everywhere all over the planet. So even business owners, sweet, kind business owners uh, from the Bahamas, even they will hire in slaves from China, but they don't like to call it that. And people have seen these Chinese slaves in the Bahamas and in other areas. It's like, what is going on here? Where, well, it's kind of those things, you know, you have these business owners um, that are willing to do business with a very corrupt country like communist China because the labor is cheap. The labor is not always good. It's not always skilled, but here's the thing. The company that was building that that um, that hotel in the Bahamas, they could have hired local workers and given them jobs. See, that's capitalism. That that's where you actually reward someone for their work. But under communism, you do not get rewarded for your work, much less get benefits of any kind. So the it's it is very much a lie that under Marxism it, it claims to care about the worker, but it doesn't. Because under Marxism, it destroys the economy, it destroys the wages of the workers, and it makes it so that the government, the elitists that hold a position of power within any said government, they're the ones that are making all the money, not the workers. So Marxism and communism, it claims to create equality, but really all it does is it creates inequality, which is not the American way, it's not the Christian way, which is exactly why communist countries do not like or believe in the United States, but yet they love our money. They love to do business with us. Also, this is another reason why almost every single communist country on the face of this earth 
always closes the churches first, if not take over the banks first, because they don't want people to have access to money and they don't want people to believe in their heavenly father. They want to believe or they want the people to believe that their only God should be the government. That's not right. It's technically paganism, but that there it is. So it says, um, the socialist mode of production would succeed capitalism as humanity's mode of production through revolution by the workers. Here's the thing. That's the Marxist way of viewing how to get things done. And needless to say, isn't that exactly what um, Marxist feminists are doing? You know, they, they think they have to be radical and have a revolution. And, and also, this is exactly how some of these labor unions behave whenever they don't get their way. And it's like, wow, so you're, you think you're actually starting a revolution. And it's like, also, why would you want to start a revolution in your country? Because whenever there is a revolution, you know, it always means the citizens lose their rights. And so that means the citizens don't have as much power over the people that they have elected to be in power. So it, you know, it, it creates a, a undesired result of the change of powers, basically. And so you have to be careful with those things. You know, as I've said in times past, just because you want something to change doesn't mean that the way that you think it should be done is correct. You know, if someone wants to make more money, you know, let's say, for example, in, in capitalism, all you have to do is ask for a raise or get more trained or go get a different job. It's that simple. You, you, have, the, you have the right to seek other employment, okay? Under communism and Marxism, you have no rights. You have no right um, to request more money or to even desire more money. And you're ashamed and blamed for wanting to make more money because under Marxism and socialism, or sorry, Marxism and communism and socialism as well, capitalism is evil. It's considered evil to them. It's like, well, you know what? How are people supposed to provide for themselves and their families if they don't have access to a good job, good pay, and have a stable economy and have a stable currency. So it's really one of those things that you have to think about, okay, what are the promises of Marxism and capitalism? See, here's the thing, under, under capitalism, you know, the only promise that you have under capitalism is you make your life what you want it to be. I think that's great because if you don't like something in your life, change it, as long as it's legal and moral, Go for it. I mean, just just do your thing. Be you. You know, as long as it's legal and moral, no issues there. But under Marxism and communism, you have no right to change your life. You have no right to switch jobs. And if you even have a slightest desire to make more money, then you are falsely accused of going against the government. Because, again, under Marxism and communism, everybody works for the government. But you, do, you are not a, um, what do I call it? or what do they call it? a government official. So it's one of those things you have to be careful about. Okay, yes, I want more money, but do I think it should come from the rich? Should, should someone else be punished so that way I can have more money? Or can I just go out and get a better job and that way no one's getting punished? I'm just you know, being a good worker, wanting to make more money, and I will provide even better services than I did before. See, because here's the thing. When you have more training and you have more knowledge, your labor is more valuable, but under Marxism, Leninism, and communism, your, your labor is considered equal to everybody else. So then you're not really able to advance your career whatsoever. And also under Marxism and communism, you have no career 
because the government determines your future and your destiny. So here is a quote from Karl Marx, and this is from 1858. He says, society does not consist of individuals, but expresses the sum of interrelations, the relations within which these individuals stand. The first thing I thought of when I read that was, wow, that is very similar to critical race theory. Because under critical race theory, they don't think you really have rights as individual, and they don't think that who you are as a person matters because they want to affect things as a collective. And it's like, wow, we are individuals, and it's, it's because of the individuals that a society is created. Because if you don't have individuals... You don't have a society and you don't have a country. Under Karl Marx and uh, critical race theory, there's all these so-called interrelations and then you have this, um, what's it called, intersectionality, whatever that stupid word is, under critical race theory. What's very interesting is that both of these theories, Marxism and critical race theory, both of them degrade different, um, different segments of the population. And that's not the American way. That's not the Christian way. And here's the thing. That's not even the humanitarian way. Like, let's say you're not American and, and you don't believe in Christianity. Well, would you still want your rights to be violated? Like, you know, even if you don't believe in America, you don't believe in democracy, you know, I mean, you don't believe in God. Let's say you're atheist or agnostic, whatever. Let's say you're Buddhist, you know, whatever the case may be. You know, do you really want to be, you know, looked at as just, as being a part of a group and there's nothing special about you, there's nothing unique about you, there's nothing that you can offer, you know, your your country, your society, your community, because whenever you take away the individuality of an individual, you no longer have that 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 spark in your in your culture. You, you no longer have ideas, you no longer have inventions or innovations. I mean this is such a very interesting quote from Karl Marx that he obviously does not understand population. He does understand economics. He does not understand society. And he doesn't understand that people need money and that it's very important that people understand their individuality because when you lose your individuality, it's, it's kind of like, you become hopeless and, and you're not really sure what to cling to. But under Karl Marx, um, your only hope is, quote unquote, the government, which in his line of thinking, when you cling to the government, you're no longer a person. You're no longer an individual. So it's like you not only do you not have any rights, but you're not considered special or unique. And I don't mean that in a fluffy kind of way or a weak way. I just mean that, you know. We all have individual uh, desires and hopes, right? And let's say, for example, you know, even your DNA is unique. Under Karl Marx, you're not unique. Under under Leninism, you're not unique. You know, there's nothing special about you. You're just ordinary. You know, you know, who are you to think that you're special? Well, gee, I was made in the image of Almighty God, but oh, that's right, you don't believe in God. You don't think we should have churches? They should be closed. And the only kind of um, entity that we should look to for any kind of advice is our government. And then our government under Marxism and communism doesn't even think that the citizens are valuable. 
See, that's why in the Soviet Union, all these people, millions of people, were forced into peasantry. They were forced into agriculture, and not a lot of them had that education. I mean, can you imagine being removed from your home, like in suburbia, America, and being forced to be a farmer, and you're forced to be poor? But oh, it, it's for workers' rights. You know, it's it's for it's for the labor union, and you know, you know, get your hammer and your sickle, and you know, be proud of your country. Well, you can be proud of your country just by being you, because no one else is like you. We are all unique individuals. But under communism, you're not viewed as anything special. You're you're just another human being taking up space in society. So it's one of those things that you have to be careful what you grasp to or what you grasp onto because whatever you hold onto will either lift you up or take you down. And under communism and Marxism, um, it will always cause issues within the human race because within those two entities is basically lack of human rights. Um, you know, women are not, I would say that under Marxism and, and uh, communism, women and children are treated so horribly. And so it always shocks me whenever women are for communism, because I'm like, really, how is it great to be a woman and to be a communist? Like, it just makes no sense to me. It, it makes no sense because women are treated worse than dogs over in, in communist China. You know, again, in communist China, they still sterilize women who have had as many as many children as they are allowed to have. So that's communism. But under capitalism and democracy and freedom, you know, one nation under God, um, no one has the right to sterilize you. No one. You know, if you want a hysterectomy, then, you know, for medical reasons, then you go get a hysterectomy. But... The government cannot round you up because they found out that you're pregnant with your second or third child, force you to have an abortion, and then sterilize you. Like, that doesn't happen in the United States. Excuse me, and people don't realize that, hey, if you embrace Marxism or communism of any kind, your rights are very much going to be violated. And that's not something that I think anybody wants, but you see, communism and Marxism, they make all these promises, and I... I don't understand why people believe these empty promises when it's like, really, like, do you want to live in a mud hut or do you want to live in a really nice house? Because under communism, the majority of the population is extremely poor and they own almost absolutely no property. Like, you know, would you rather take ownership of your life or would you rather be or would you rather like to be owned by somebody else? Like, do you want to be a slave underneath someone else's thumb? You know what I find very interesting is that whenever communists, they usually think they're geniuses and they're elitist and all this stuff. And I just, you know, I just want to ask them, you know, communism very much degrades civil rights and it limits people from having freedom. So if you are for limiting freedom, are you okay with being a slave? Are you okay with being rounded up whenever the government thinks you're a problem? And then if they think you are truly a problem to the communist party, to the communist government, are you okay with being ex um, excuse me executed? Are you okay, you know, with your family being tortured? Because that's what happens under communism. That's what happens under Marxism. Like you know, they claim to care about humanity, but they do not. It they, it is such a disturbing way of viewing government, of viewing people, 
And it's also a very disturbing way of controlling massive amounts of population. And I just find it odd, you know, how many citizens are in the country of China and yet they haven't had a revolution yet. Maybe we should pray for that, that they have freedom, like true freedom, because they're not truly free. Like most of the people that live in China that are actual citizens of China, they're not foreigners or immigrants. Like they're, they're actually born and raised in China. You know, I don't think people realize that those people do not have freedom of movement. Like they can't just pick up and move wherever they want to. Like the government decides where they live, where they work, what they do, what school they go to. And I'll close with this. I guess this will be the end of part one. And tomorrow we will do part two of Marxism. But, you know, I've said this in times past um, in regards to communist China you know, I don't think people realize that, you know, here in the United States, if you want your child to have an education, by all means, they can get an education and they and you don't have to pay for it. Extra, I should say. You don't have to pay extra if you go to public school. Now, public schools are paid for by tax dollars, so everybody pays for that. But um, needless to say, you know, our government here doesn't have your child take a test in like fifth or sixth grade to determine if they should or can go and be in middle school, like in sixth, seventh, or eighth grade. Our, our public school system also does not test you at eighth or ninth grade and decide whether or not you're worthy enough to ever go to high school. See, because here's the thing, over in China, they have uh, their children take these tests. And so that's why these Asians, they study like crazy because, you know, when you're dealing with the Communist Party, like you have to study. See, because there's a thing over in Communist China, K through six is basically a somewhat guaranteed education over there in China, unless you're like a peasant peasant. But once you reach sixth grade, then you have to take this test to get into the seventh or eighth grade. So basically like middle school, if you fail that test to be admitted into the next segment of the grades that you need to take, then you are forever stuck at a sixth grade level of education for the rest of your life. And so you're only allowed to have occupations that are equivalent to that of a sixth grader. So say for example, you're lucky, you studied, you're awesome, good. You passed, you made it into middle school. Okay, that's like seventh or eighth grade, depending on how you want to look at. Guess what? Your child then has to take another test in like eighth or ninth grade to determine whether or not they are smart enough or good enough to go to high school just to get a high school education. And again, if you fail that test or if your child fails that test, your child is permanently blocked, permanently stuck at having a eighth grade education. They are never allowed to retake the test, and they are only allowed to do jobs that the max they can earn is something equivalent to an eighth grade reading level. Let's say you're, you're awesome, you're lucky, or you're really sharp, you're really bright, and let's say you pass the test and you go to high school. High school is typically like ninth to, uh, ninth to 12, uh, right? So you, you get in those grades. Here's the thing, in order to go to college, <laughs> you still have to take yet another test. So you have to take a test to prove that you're smart enough to, to go to college and do those jobs. Again, if you fail that test, you are permanently stuck at a 12th grade reading level 
or occupation level. So you, you are never allowed to retake that test ever. You can never go to college in communist China. They block you and they stop you. That is what has created slave labor in communist China and other countries that practice that type of communism. So say, for example, you're lucky or your kid's really lucky and they pass the test and they're going to college. See, here's the thing. I don't know much about the colleges in China, but I do know that in order for a Chinese exchange student to come to the United States, their parents have to be super wealthy, like these international students or whatever. So in order for a Chinese student to get access to our universities here in the United States or anywhere on the planet outside China, first of all, they have to pass that test. Um, number two, I'm speaking here for the United States, the, the universities here in the United States require that international students provide financial banking documents proving that they have thousands upon thousands of dollars sitting in a bank account that can be used for their schooling. Because typically international students do not get any kind of scholarships here in the United States unless that has changed. I don't know. Um, I can't imagine that happening because um, unless it's like a private, you know, dot org organization or a foundation, but in terms of like tax dollars, like Pell Grants or, you know, you know, things of that nature or scholarships issued by the federal government, those typically are not extended to international students because they are not citizens of the United States. But needless to say, you know, say, for example, one semester of college for a U.S. citizen, let's say it costs $8,000 for a U.S. citizen. For an international student, it, for an international student, excuse me, it would maybe cost, this is lowballing, $32,000. So these universities that claim to care about students and they, they brag about their international programs where they have these international students uh, attending uh, their universities, all they're doing, these universities, these higher education people, these administrators, they're just using these international students for money. I mean, yes, they are granting them a degree if they finish the program, but they are leasing and fleecing them. They are charging them exuberant amounts of money, and their parents fork up that money because they want a better life for their child. Who doesn't, right? So just FYI, please be aware that that is why there is a very large peasant class and slave labor class in communist China. It's because the government does everything it can under communism and Marxism, and in terms of China, Maoism is what they call it, um, to control and suppress their citizens because they don't want a bunch of people to be educated. They don't want, you know, they don't want the young people to be fully educated. Like they don't even want their young people to to pass high school or to graduate from high school. You know what China does, and also North Korea does this, um, they lie to their people and they say that a high school education is actually a college education. And it's not. But that's how they lie to their citizens and they get them to believe that, that their education and their labor is actually worth more than it, than it really is. So that's how they fool and... Um, just flat out lie to their citizens that, oh, this is actually what, what you can earn. And you actually do have a lot of education. Actually, you don't. Like, either you have it or you don't. But, you know, you have to remember that the only way that communism and Marxism can flourish is if it lies to people. 
because they don't want people to know that, hey, you actually can go to school, you can be educated, and you can be successful, you can own your own business. And what's really sad about these communist countries, they truly believe that controlling and suppressing people is the best way to have a successful government, where it's just the opposite. You know, if you actually have capitalism and democracy, you know, the government will bring in way more money. The, the government will bring in way more tax dollars because people are able to be more productive, not just with a hammer and a sickle, but, you know, because people will have a a greater education. They will have the opportunity to go to college or med school or law school, or maybe they just want to go to a tech school. Hey, plumbers make a lot of money, no doubt, right? So it's one of those things that you you have to, Think about from, hey, black and white, yes and no. Would I want to live in a country where they limit everything I do, and if I question anything, then I'm a problem? That's communism. In America, with capitalism and democracy, if you question something, it's not a crime. If anything, you are encouraged to question things because we want people to think for themselves. We want people to know who they are as an individual and as a person because we know that's really only how they are going to succeed because if you don't know what your natural skill set is and if you're never given the opportunity to learn and to grow, then that is a great way to suppress millions of people, and that's what's been happening in China for a long time. Hence, um, I'm not surprised their people have not revolted, but the, at the same time I am because I'm just wondering, like, you know, how long are they going to put up with people telling them what to do all the time? And that's what communism is. It's like these citizens, they're never truly free. The way that they're lulled into a false sense of security is, oh, well, you're free to do this. But the government controls what they are free to do and what they are not free to do. And it's very extreme. Very, very extreme. But anyway, I will go ahead and end this podcast but as usual. Until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole, and that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Transform.